Hey guys, welcome to Incubation Conversations. My name is Katie. And I'm Eli, and welcome to our podcast where we provide a fun, informative interaction discussing the topics and stories of benchtop research, interwoven with tips and clues to navigate schools, applications, and experiments. So Katie, who do we have with us today? We have Dr. Greer, our favorite, favorite guest, and I'm sure you've heard a lot about her from our last few podcasts, but she's here with us today in the studio. Um, Welcome, Dr. Greer. Hello, thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, a little introduction about Dr. Greer. She is a teacher at USC School of Medicine. Um, She has won multiple awards over the past couple years for her being a great professor and researcher, including Outstanding Young Investigator Award in 2020, (laughs) and American Society of Microbiologists Peggy Cotter Award in 2019. It is an honor to have you here, Dr. Greer. Oh, thank you, Eli. (laughs) So, Dr. Greer, give us a little, like, cliff note version of how you got here, what kind of drove you to teaching, and especially at a medical school. All right, well, that's uh, a lot. Stack question, sorry. Um, Component at a time. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm originally from Wisconsin, and I did my undergraduate at uh, Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, From there, I had some pretty fantastic mentors who encouraged me to consider graduate school. So I followed their advice um, and followed my interests in virology to the University of Pennsylvania, where I actually found that if you're studying a virus, you should probably know something about the host. (laughs) Um, So I ended up actually doing a fair amount of work in immunology as well. Um, And then after my PhD, I found that I really liked bench research, but Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't everything for me. I wanted to also be able to work with students and do some teaching. So I was able to do an ARACTA postdoctoral fellowship, uh, which is really just, it's offered by the National Institute of General Medical Sciences, but it's a way for postdocs to get experience in research while also doing some teaching. And That's so wonderful. I got a chance to teach a couple of classes um, and found that I loved it and it was great. And so from there, I had a couple of um, places that I was able to teach until I kind of found my way to here at the School of Medicine, uh, the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville. Um, And part of the reason why I ended up here is because at a School of Medicine, I get the opportunity to teach students, which is fantastic and I love it. Um, But I also get to spend a fair amount of time in the research lab. So I love the split where it's almost like a 50-50 in my time. So Mm -hmm. half research, half teaching. Um, And it's also quite convenient here in Greenville that there's some other institutions nearby, so my husband was able to have a job. That's awesome. Um, And so he is an undergraduate professor and loves that as well. Yeah. It's definitely a perfect, like, 50-50 between, you know, lecture, teaching, as well as being in the lab. Um, Dr. Greer, what would you say is, like, the biggest kind of difference between teaching medical students versus undergrad, both in the lab, in lecture, kind of, you know, practicing what there's kind of the big differences between teaching both of them. Yeah, I think for me the biggest difference is recognizing that for the medical students, the information really needs to be something practical Mm -hmm. because they're all going to put it into use. For sure. Um, At an undergraduate institution, you may have students taking a class for their major or taking a class for an elective, but they may not necessarily actually go on to do immunology or Mm -hmm. do, you know, use general biology in their day-to-day life. Whereas here, teaching immunology to medical students, I know they're going to use it. I know they're going to need it. um, And I know that I need to make sure the information is 
um, relevant. So I want to make sure that whatever I'm teaching is focused on what they're going to use. Because there's obviously immunology is an extremely detailed field. Mm -hmm. Um, There are probably things that the average you know, medical doctor doesn't need to know, right. you know, perhaps a signaling pathway. They don't necessarily need to know off the top of their head, um, but they may need to know if a protein is missing, how might that show up as a disease in a patient? Mm-hmm. And so it, it definitely takes a lot more thought in medical school or when teaching medical students about what information is going to be applicable right. and how do I get that across so that they can understand it and use it when presented with that issue or that problem. For sure, for sure. Would you agree with that, Eli, since you are in medical school? (laughs) Yes. um, I Actually, that brings me to a question because the immunology field is always expanding and it's like one of the like latest cutting edge fields in biology that is reflecting into medicine and cancer biology and rheumatology. So how does that affect how you want to teach from year to year? Like advancements are always happening and they're like, really cutting edge so like how do you balance out is this necessary now because it's still being tested in like a select few sites or should Mm -hmm. they know it should they not worry about it yeah so i think i sort of go back to almost like a thinking about clinical trials Mm -hmm. if it's something that's getting end of phase three clinical trials it's going to be implemented widely then that I think that's something that's worth talking about, or at least talking about the mechanism behind it. Maybe not a specific drug, but you know how was it designed? What principles is it based on? Um, so I think that's kind of where I draw the line. There's a, I mean, there's so many things that are in clinical trials, lots of different therapies that aren't quite ready yet for patients. And honestly, we, you know, I could teach it, but I've got a limited amount of time to cover a lot <laughs> right. of material. Yeah. Um, and th- there's, there could be so many more changes before it actually comes to market. And so mm-hmm. I think the time is better focused on what we for sure know and what are sort of the first couple things through the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And a really big piece of it isn't so much that I have to teach them everything they need to know, but that I try to teach immunology in a way that they understand what's happening so that when mm-hmm. new information comes out, they can learn it and put it in context of what mm-hmm. they were able to learn in my class. So I don't have to teach them about every new drug if they understand pathways and interactions. Right. Then when you know, something else comes out, you can kind of think, oh, it'll do that in this context. Yeah, I think also bringing it back to the clinical perspective and how this is actually like useful to a patient. I think in lab we talk a lot about doing this experiment, this one, X, Y, Z, like we could test for lots and lots of things, but always bringing it back to that big picture that's like, okay, how would this actually be helpful in a clinical setting? Like, because we could test for, we could find out many things, but if it doesn't have to do with medicine, it's kind of of somewhat irrelevant, I guess in our sense at the medical school, but. Yeah, I think it's not that it's irrelevant, it's that it's just not what we're gonna choose to focus on. Right, yeah, for sure. So um, aside from that, You've also written a very nice, great article about COVID and that got published back when again? Uh, End of March. Right, and it got published by who? Uh, The article was originally on The Conversation, but it was picked up by PBS. Yes, and she's had tons of publicity. (laughs) I would even say it's gone viral. Um, I don't know about that. I support going viral. (laughs) But just talk to us a little bit, because you have gone from teaching, you know, 
med students, undergrad students, people who are familiar with biology and all these terms to then going and writing for the public. It's such a 180, kind of dumbing it down, but you don't want it to sound less than, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So how how is that transition? Um, that, I found that actually quite difficult. Yeah. Um, having been in an academic career for so long, academic sort of the academic vocabulary is my natural vocabulary. For sure. And so it actually took me quite a while working with an editor to write that article um, just to make sure that I was presenting the information in a way that would be clear to somebody that doesn't have, you know, a PhD in immunology. Right. Um, Which not a lot of people have. Right. Exactly. <laughs> not a common not yeah. a common thing. And so it it was really it really required me to think about what the average person is wondering, what their questions they might be asking, mm -hmm. and how they might be interpreting information that they're seeing in the news. Um, because if I can, you know, I can state facts all day, but if somebody reading it doesn't understand the context and what I'm trying to, to convey, then I'm wasting my time, their time, and, and maybe even making things more confusing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was really important to think about word choice. Um, oh, for sure. You yeah. know, science sometimes can be very particular on words, you know, where <laughs> yes. this is... It's almost like you're in law, you know, you're practicing law, too. Yeah, right. It's something everything. decreased or degraded or decayed. Those could all mean different things, <laughs> yeah. but really, to a patient, it's like, oh, well, is it present or not? Right. Yeah. right. Very cut and dry. Yeah. And yeah. so to think about, am I saying things in a way that is getting the point across? Um, so yeah. it was a really, really interesting experience, and I do think... We, we need more people in science to focus on communication with and the general public. Education of the general public, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because we can do what we do all day in the lab, but like if we can't relay it to the general public, it's kind of lost, you yeah. know what I mean? It's only for a select narrow crowd, which isn't doing the greater common good, I feel like. Yeah. Awesome. So I have so much respect for the people that do science communication as their job. It's it's you got a taste of it, and you're like, this is tough. <laughs> it's hard work. Yeah. And you had tons of, like, podcasts, interviews, comments. People were leaving comments. Mm -hmm. How was that? I mean. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it was interesting. I One thing I found most heartening was the number of people that, just from that article, tracked me down and sent me emails just to ask questions. I and it, I thought wow. it was interesting because these were questions that my, you know, my own family members were asking or friends were asking. And so I thought that was interesting that these people felt like they had no one else to go to, yeah. but they could email me. And I thought, well, one, I, I wish there were more people out there that were sharing this information so that everybody had somebody in their day-to-day -day life they Almost could like ask. A, like a hotline. Yeah. <laughs> Research, right? A hotline, PhD the hotline. The Dr. Yeah. hotline. Um, but it was really, I mean, I took it very seriously that these people were emailing yeah. me. And so the first couple of weeks, I really did email every single person back. That's awesome. Um, as we got further along, yeah. I definitely lost, sort of lost the ability to do that um, because it did, you know, to to research every specific question took time and I, you know, my day-to-day -day job didn't stop. Yeah. Um, and so I wasn't able to answer every question, but within the first couple of weeks, the first people, you know, that emailed me in those two weeks, I, I did get back to them as much as I could. When, when was the first email you received from the general public about like how long did it take for it to probably get about 48 hours that's wow crazy. that is 
Yeah. That's crazy. Well, I think it's super important that you're not just teaching in the classroom, in the lab, but you're also teaching people mm-hmm. outside of that, yeah. you know, and that's very important too. And I, and I will say the emails were worldwide. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm telling you viral, viral people. We're talking yeah. to a celebrity right now. Um, so aside from that, let's bring it back to our home base where we are now at the mm-hmm. medical school. Um, in the lab, like, what do you think makes a great lab dynamic? Like the personalities, you, I kind of started with you um, a year ago during um, COVID and everything so that we didn't, we weren't really in lab. But um, I was also with you in January when you were kind of interviewing these people and getting our group together for the summer. And what were you kind of looking for? Because you brought together a wonderful group. So Thanks. what was your like mindset kind of going into the summer? Um, I am always kind of looking for somebody that's open to learning. Um, mm-hmm. That's really the biggest thing to me is I don't expect students to come in being laboratory magicians who can do whatever, you know. Unicorns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I do want people that are willing to, to try new things that are okay with making mistakes. Because, yeah, yeah. um, you know. There's lots. <laughs> yeah. Failure oh. is kind of a fact of life in the lab. Not every experiment works. And mm-hmm. so... Um, I, I do really try to look for people that are kind of going to be a little relaxed because I think if you're expecting everything to work, it's going to be disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, and then also looking for somebody that can convey ideas. Can they communicate? Because communication is a really important part of science. For sure. Yeah. And I think that translates to a group that communicates well in person mm-hmm. um, that can kind of joke about their mistakes and failures. And, it, yes. you know, it's, it kind of... It just makes it easy to work with everybody. Yeah, um, very outspoken, outgoing people yeah. who aren't, you know, narrow-minded, I feel like, too. We're all very open to ideas and yeah. anything yes. you have and to mistakes. say. Yeah, mistakes. We're well. open to mistakes. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I, I always ask on people's sort of approach to teamwork. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sure. You know, because science is a team sport just as medicine is a team sport. Uh-huh. And so... Yeah. Um, I do, you know, warn people, even if they are independent, it's great. Um, but when the lab, they're probably going to be working with people and can they make that work? How do mm-hmm. they interact? Mm-hmm. What are, you know, what's their group dynamics kind of like yes. in their day-to-day life? And that, uh, you kind of can get a feel as you talk to someone, how that might, mm-hmm. how they might work in the lab. So. It's, yeah. It's such a balance. I feel like, cause you'll go from, you know, narrowing down a protocol you've got it down you're very independent you have it all together and then you know you have to work with other people and teach it to someone else or just the opposite you're struggling with something and be able to reach out and not be afraid to ask other people for help and not feel Mm -hmm. self-conscious that you don't feel that you know everything but being able to find your weaknesses know where they are and who to ask and where to get that information to further strengthen your weaknesses in yep. the lab for sure. Absolutely. And I will say as the PI, I try to model that as well. Oh, you're yeah. You're you're wonderful. Perfect. <laughs> Leading by example I don't, is right yeah. here. I feel yeah. like I don't have to know every answer because we can go know. find it and yeah. you know, trying to as you've all probably learned, trying to explain something is very different than trying, you know, yeah. doing mm-hmm. it yourself. For and, sure. You know, so I, I'm very much a mentor that thinks that I, or at least tries to show the sort of the humanity of being a professor so that yeah. other people can feel like they can demonstrate their own humanity and weaknesses and, yeah. you know. And being like that comfortable person that everyone feels comfortable to coming to for questions. Like no, I hope so. <laughs> no, but like no amount of times have I ever been like, 
I've doctor I've asked Dr. Yurkert this question probably six million times, but am I gonna ask <laughs> it one more time? Yes, yeah. I am. And it's always the same like attitude, same tone. There's no like you know wrongness of asking one too many questions. I feel like it's always the same even keel. And like having that kind of personality and that kind of attitude, bringing it to the lab is so crucial because you don't want, you know, someone that you just, they get on their nerves if they get one too many questions or something doesn't work and then they haven't, then they're frustrated and then it kind of just sets up the whole imbalance of the whole yeah. lab. Yeah. Although it's also fine to be frustrated. I'm yes, certain, oh, for I'm sure. You've yeah. seen me frustrated <laughs> at times too, but yeah, it's definitely natural for sure. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. So, you obviously you worked at um, you did your undergrad at UPenn, and now you're at um, our medical school, which is a little bit smaller. So, mm-hmm. kind of tell us the big differences between big lab versus small lab, the benefits, the cons, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I will say that right now our lab is probably one of the larger on the larger side, mm-hmm. um, and so I think comparing our lab now to some of the labs of equal size that I've worked at, I think. Um, one of the biggest things, I don't even know that this sets us apart, but just how collaborative our lab is. Not every lab that I've been in that's been this size has been so, you know, easy to talk to people. Yeah. Um, that if one person isn't around or if I'm not around, people know that they can go to Katie or then go to Eli with questions yeah. or they can go to yeah. really anyone else in the lab. <laughs> or the lab Slack. Slack. Honestly, that's been great. I'm a Slack. fan. Recommendations for dinner. Um, so I think, you know, in a lab, like, the, the larger you get, the more important it is to find those go-to people that you mm-hmm. can ask questions about. Because sure. the larger the lab, that often means that the, not necessarily the PI, but even sort of the, the leadership of the lab have more on their plate. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to get one-on-one fa- uh, FaceTime with your yep. advisors. So it's really important to find those people that you can go to that are going to be your mentors in the lab as well. Um, on a smaller lab, you know, so my first summer at the medical school, I only had three students and I really did, you know, Those prob- lucky three students. <laughs> probably spent, you know, <laughs> one on one time all day, many, every day. many hours with each student each day. That's amazing. Um, oh. And so it's great. But I also feel like in some ways it, I don't want to say it like prevents independence, but they didn't have to struggle through finding out, you know, how to do a protocol on their own because yeah. I was standing there <laughs> oh, helping bless. them. True. But, True. you know, so then I think that right now in the larger lab, people are, you know, sometimes they're just figuring things out for themselves. There, there's more independence. Yeah, I and I feel like you almost have to fail at something to become really good at it. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like all of us have that one protocol, you know, yeah. A few of our students do westerns all day long, and they <laughs> failed at many, but they're excellent at them now. And so it's almost like you have to like fail or like miss that one step that then you will never forget mm-hmm. where you went wrong. And then every single time after that, it's just you nail it out of the park. Good. Right. And yeah. most of the advice that I give while I'm teaching a protocol is because of something that I've done wrong in the past <laughs> and learned. Exactly. Yeah. And now I know don't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And Eli, you've worked in some big labs previous before. How, what was your experience like? Um, so I worked in a lab very similar to our size with a very similar dynamic, um, which was great. But then I worked in a lab that had almost 20 people in it, wow. uh, like four to five postdocs, a bunch of graduates. Uh, That's like a big 
like wide range too. Yeah, like, a big like mix of people. two lab managers, a couple techs, and I was the smallest fish in that <laughs> lab, which is understandable because it was a definitely a graduate level lab that my old PI sent me to, but I was not ready for that dynamic coming from a small lab, and I felt kind of secluded. If that makes sense, my the my mentor was always busy busy with like writing his new papers and stuff, and the graduates always had to work with some other graduates for their projects, mm-hmm. and I just felt like if I did something, I would get in the way. It was right. not the environment we have yeah. today in lab, um, so it was not <laughs> my best experience. That's why I'm like very hesitant about labs bigger than like ten to mm-hmm. ten eleven is like pushing it because. When I interviewed with that lab, it was 10, and then over, like, a semester, they had, like, 10 more people. Oh, and I wow. was like, woo, this is a lot. Yeah. And I, I thought I was, like, somewhat prepared to do it. I had, like, some skill set under my belt, but at that level and that level of independence, it becomes very hard mm-hmm. to, like, find support. So Yeah, and, I mean, you just really can't put a value on hands-on experience yeah. from and mentoring. You just those hours that you spend together and like there's just so much you can learn just from that one-on-one time you mm-hmm. just you, you literally can't even put a value on it yeah. but um so other than that dr greer where do you see yourself in five years like what's the oh. future where where are we going yeah <laughs> um probably still here i i think i'm in a really really good place i love the school i love the teaching uh, I'm excited to teach virology this summer. Yay. Uh, so that'll be new for me. Um, no, I think I'm really, really happy. I would like to hopefully have, you know, get a couple more grants where I can support people to work in my lab uh, year round because I would mm-hmm. really love to have a, a technician or um, somebody, you know, just somebody in there every day to kind of keep things going so that the summer doesn't have to be quite so crowded and, yeah. and intense. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm. I really enjoy the lab setup. I think we're we've put a you know a fair amount of work this summer, and lots of work. The faculty in the school in the last couple of years has put in a lot of effort and time and money to get the students and the the research infrastructure yeah. on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think there's definitely things that we can improve, but the improvements are already happening in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And so I think hopefully we'll stay here. Mm-hmm. We'll keep doing this kind of research. Um, one thing that I am hoping to do more of when I'm trying to get started is we talked about, you know, how does this research affect patients? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so since a lot of my research is on respiratory infections, I'm really interested in looking to some of the like health disparities and how socioeconomic determinants of health could affect risk factors for lots of different respiratory viruses. Oh, for sure. And are there easy things, you know, if we understand what the risks are, are there easy things that we could do? to help mm-hmm. patients avoid these infections in the first place or you know if if they do get sick are there things that we can teach them or treat them with so that they don't get the worst case scenario or a severe right. you know yeah. infection and preventative get care is just so mm-hmm. so important and yeah definitely i feel like as a whole the medical field is turning more towards preventative care these days mm-hmm. than they were like in the past would you say the same eli absolutely yeah lifestyle medicine prevention getting ahead of the disease before it becomes to mm-hmm. the point where surgical or even like major inter- intervention is needed is mm-hmm. a big part um we always talked about like you got to make sure about your diabetes and your cholesterol but that is expanding more to 
-hmm. things like respiratory illness, um, mental health, mental health as well. So, which is a big problem in the medical field right Right. now. So a lot of these are something we are pushing for, which makes your research very interesting, Dr. Greer. (laughs) Kind of leads me to my next question. So you have your benchtop work Mm -hmm. looking at, um, I'm gonna leave that to you, but you have your benchtop work and you have some of your um, disparity work. How are you dividing your time equally and efficiently between both? Um, How does she do it How do you do it? (laughs) I'm probably not. I think that's the million dollar question, Eli. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, right now, the, the bench research is definitely taking the majority of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, because, there, like I said, there, you know, we've got a good, good group in there. A lot of projects are happening. Um, so I, that's where I do spend most of my time. Um, with the health disparities, it's a lot more... Right now, we're looking at um, patient records. And so it's a lot more administrative. Mm-hmm. So often, I will do those admin tasks in the evening. Uh, and then I do have a, a small research team working on that. And so um, because it's not so much protocol focused, technique focused, there's a lot less training. And so the students are able to act a little more independently. Um, so I, the, the work distribution is different mm-hmm. in that I'm in the lab because there's something that I can offer to right. the lab <laughs> and the training and the you know, hands-on assistance. Um, with the health disparities, it's much more, like I said, computer focused. So the students that are working on that, they're they're kind of honestly leading. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet each week and talk about you know what are the goals, what are the things that we need to accomplish, and then it, to be honest, they probably know it better than I do at this point, or right. or have more time to go find solutions than I do. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's nice to to be able to see both sides of it because I'm learning a lot on the health disparity side too. So right, right. So you're spending your days at the your days at the bench, your evenings on the computer with disparity research. Then what do you do outside a lab? I mean, what's yeah. your stress relief? We talk about mental health in the medical field and for med students. How do you kind of balance that? And like, where where do you find your stress relief and how to unplug? Yeah. So I uh, do love the old bad TV. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> We all do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Great British Baking Show. Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, my gosh. That's, Martha Stewart. I love, I love the Great British Baking Show. Um, yeah, I tend to, I try to find a TV show that I, is, I think of as like a guilty pleasure, something that I really mm-hmm. like. Um, and I'll put that on while I'm doing some sort of exercise, whether it's like yoga or, um, well, I guess if I'm in the gym, I'll put it on my, you know, watch it on my phone when I'm on like a treadmill or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I try to use that like the, I work my body, so I'm doing some exercise while also kind of being able to turn off my Brain. mind. Yeah. Um, I do a fair amount of long distance running, hopefully. Awesome. I'm not, not so much immediately at the moment, <laughs> um, but I do enjoy running as kind of a way to just kind of zone in or zone out mentally and kind of focus in on just what I'm doing. Um, and yeah. think you'll do the half marathon yes the prisma health one yes i'll Definitely. run it with you doing it i did it yeah. last january they actually had it um and it was awesome i loved it yeah. actually dr Gerber was giving me tips beforehand because i'd never run a half marathon before so, oh, so i'll be providing one. water for both of y'all on the <laughs> yeah. sides then we'll be TV biking show. it uh, <laughs> yeah there's so. a whole lot of team out there and then, I mean, I have I live with my husband, and we have three cats. So I will awesome. say, Ooh. you know, having somebody to come home to, we joke around, we're mm-hmm. silly. The cats are adorable and goofy. Yeah. Just having that kind of support at home is is great. 
for sure. Um, and I think also having like like you said, like your husband's in a different field completely. So it's not mm-hmm. like you're coming from work and talking about work and then like he's also in the same work and so it's like yeah. this, this constant cycle you know you guys have a break in the conversation yeah but good, he too. is also an academic so at least he kind of understands the similar stressors the similar mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. frustrations or 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 highs as well you know when yeah. i when he publishes a paper we celebrate when i get Aww. something published we celebrate and so we, awesome. yeah so cute <laughs> thanks <laughs> Uh, well, Eli, do you have any any closing questions for Dr. Greer? Any, I have. I mean, so you had her class. How how was she? She was Be one great of my professor. Great com. my professor is Love. real, but I'm not gonna lie. One of the best professors we have this year. I'm not trying Thank to be you. like sugarcoated because Dr. Greer is in the room, but you I'm not did because you did explain it very simply, directly, and practically. Thank and you. I awesome. feel like. We need more of that. And we had a lot of review sessions and a lot of cases to where we integrate that knowledge mm-hmm. that's usually theoretical and bases and to yeah. real patient cases. So I found that to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is when I actually started doing research over um, last summer and when it was virtual, I kind of like thought to myself, I was like, these people, like. The concepts we're talking about is almost like imposter syndrome. I was like, I have no idea <laughs> what we're talking about. You know, I was very you just shake your head at that yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was so lost and confused. And then when the lab opened up back in January, and Dr. Greer was adamant about getting me into the lab, I was like, I don't know if I can really do this. I was kind of hesitant. And then, you know, as soon as I got in the lab, she was just so amazing and very like easy to learn from and put everything into very easy terms to kind of comprehend and then and then of course the complexity came after the foundation and so I think I went from being like oh I have no idea to really having a grasp and that I could definitely understand this field now and I don't feel so much as an imposter anymore (laughs) (laughs) but I definitely felt like at first it was a lot to take in but she was right there and building my confidence and I think just great great person thank you (laughs) outside of the lecture hall (laughs) yeah everyone's just hearing you guys talk about how great great I am for Um, oh that's definitely a whole we're not even I'm like trying to hold back here (laughs) I'm like Dr. Greer is amazing you should just see all of our undergrads I mean like it's totally like learning by example a real fan club I would say. Yeah. Well, I I will say that, I mean, a lot of this comes to the students, right? You guys Mm -hmm. are the ones that are interacting with each other. And so I think, you know, as much as you keep saying, (laughs) oh, this is so great, Dr. But I'm not the one doing the experiments. You guys are in the lab. You guys are the ones that are coming in early and staying late (laughs) and like working hard. Um, And so that I think, you know, I couldn't do this by myself. There's no way I could accomplish everything that you guys are doing this summer without the students in the lab. And so I think it's important or, you know. But I also think it goes both ways because, you know, like you said, there's been other PIs, other project managers that like, they just haven't had this kind of mentality and this kind of personality. And you don't want to work, you would never want to work that hard for someone you don't really believe in and like you don't Mm -hmm. really look up to. So I think it works both ways because 
all of us in the lab, we work so hard in those long hours oh. and everything, you know, <laughs> for, for you, you because, <laughs> oh my goodness. you know, I, I think we wouldn't, none of us would stay yeah. or stick around yeah. if the situation was any different. And I think, yeah, it's a great environment, but you also created that environment. Thank you. I think you, it's not, you nurture to, this doesn't well. just happen <laughs> yeah. overnight. Yeah. You yeah. can't yeah. just bring 10 random people together and say, okay, here, do this. Know, we'll try We'll try next year. Yeah. Honestly, that brings me to my question. Have you thought about our specific group dynamics when you brought all of us in? No. You just she hope for just, the best. You like just mix Throwing things in a things. pot, in a crock yeah. pot and let well, this in. <laughs> I mean, I do, I did specifically decide to get students at all different levels of mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I wanted to make sure that we had some younger students that were, you know, rising sophomores and juniors. Um, wanted to have hopefully some students that had been, uh, had had sort of higher level classes or had been in my lab or other labs. So we have a few that have, you know, were with us last summer and were able to come back. And then also to have medical students as well. And because I see it as almost like, Mentoring, use, right? Those, exactly. Yeah. I was, I was gonna advice. say like mentorship families is the, you know yeah. the medical students oh, can talk we're to the family. Yeah, you guys we're are. Um, but to have the medical students can sort of advise the students that might be thinking about graduate applications or medical school applications, and mm-hmm. then the juniors and seniors are advising the freshmen and sophomores, saying, "Well, these are the classes I took, and this is the professor mm-hmm. that I really liked." Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of have this like flow of information up and down. And then that also means my medical students can talk about their mentorship experience when right. they're going out for residency applications and <laughs> leadership. Right, <laughs> absolutely. And so it sort of creates this like good everybody wins situation. So that yeah. part I did purposely do. Oh, um, well, I've come to Eli for so much advice. I mean, we were sitting there at the tissue culture room <laughs> and you were helping me write a cover letter oh, for a job yeah. and it was like probably seven o'clock at night it was seven o'clock i was about oh, to leave and you're like hey can i ask you a question I'm like okay <laughs> two hours later yeah <laughs> oh, my goodness but it, i don't mind because i feel like dr greer set up our like i know we've talked about this a couple times but you've overlaid this idea on all of us and i think we all took it to heart that mm-hmm. we're here to like help each other so oh for sure group effort yeah 100 well and i also try to remind myself that you know as much as the science is important and we want to contribute to the science for me the biggest thing is using research to teach students right it's really part of my teaching Mm -hmm. i'm teaching you how to do an experiment but also how to think about an experiment how to Mm -hmm. think about uh, what went wrong how could i fix it or oh i got this really interesting result why did it do that? Yes. <laughs> um, and so win or lose, I see the research experience as a learning experience. Yeah, and I I could totally um, actually take this yeah. to heart too because when I first came in and things weren't working out, I'd always ask you and be like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And then now when things don't go well, I'm like, okay, well, was it this? Was it, do you yeah. think it's that? Do you think, I have my own ideas of where I think I went wrong mm-hmm. or where something else in the experiment went wrong. So I think it's going from the turning tables of going from mm-hmm. asking you to then being able to hypothesize in my own head what went wrong. And yeah. that kind of troubleshooting goes everywhere in medicine. You could be talking about diagnosis for you know, a patient, talking with other you know, doctors, I think we also mentioned that too before. Yeah, we have. So it's such a good ideology that I don't feel like you get so much in lecture hall just because Mm -hmm. things are so cut and blank. You never ask, okay, well, what if something went wrong and that kind of thing? I try to. 
That's what, that, that's what those exam questions are about. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, thank you so much, Dr. Greer, thank for you. coming yeah, with Greer. us and um, coming here and speaking with us so much. And I think we all have had such great conversations. I was like, save for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad we can actually get it all recorded. And hopefully, I think a lot of these ideas that we talked about today can be applicable to any lab or any kind of PI professional relationship you have as students and yeah yeah I, and medical students and undergrad yeah mm-hmm. I think I mean just thinking about the the dynamics is really important when you're mm-hmm. thinking about a lab where do you oh, want to go for sure because these are people you're gonna hang out with for long hours <laughs> long hours sixteen what, hours a day um, no. what is some advice you <laughs> no. would give somebody either undergrad or medicine or medical school that like wants to get into research what do you think like first step where should they start maybe deciding clinical versus bench but some kids don't know mm-hmm. what they like better so yeah I think you know it's the topic itself is mildly important that it should be something that you're interested in right um, but it doesn't need to be what you're going to do for the rest of your life so it doesn't have to be something that you're like even all that super passionate about mm-hmm. <laughs> really it's just you know it's an experience you're going to learn from it and so I think to be open-minded to, to different fields and projects, um, to try to have a conversation with the advisor mm-hmm. and just yeah. see how, you know, what's the, the motivation, how, how do you interact with them? The vibe check. The vibe check, yeah. <laughs> um, and then also to try and talk to other people in the lab, other trainees, mm-hmm. get an idea, you know, do a vibe check with them too. <laughs> do they vibe with the professor? Do they mm-hmm. vibe with the other people? Um, if it's the right fit for you yeah and yeah. just to remember that you know getting a research opportunity is an opportunity and that's exciting but also that you know somebody a student going into a lab is going to be kind of you know uh, investing a lot of time mm-hmm. that is to the benefit of the lab and so they students are a resource they have something to offer and to remember that you know don't necessarily just join a lab because that's the first lab that offered the position to you but you know, you're bringing something to the lab. You kind of control where you want to spend your effort. So mm-hmm. find the place that's going to value you for that effort. Don't um, just do it to throw it on your resume, you know, because yeah. they talk more about these days. More meaningful experiences are better than a laundry list. So yeah. I feel like yeah. finding that meaningful yeah. connection with someone in a lab is definitely super valuable. Yeah. And I encourage people, you know, we talk about long days in the lab, but. It shouldn't all be long days of the lab. Um, no. I think there's. We do s- do fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. I do think there are, there are some places where you just work long hours and it takes over your whole life, and that's not a fun experience. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I you will notice this. You'll see me kind of coming around some evenings at five thirty, and I'm like, "Why are you guys still here? Please go home." Um, we have because, no life. <laughs> because I really want students to know that, like, I don't expect them to give up their other interests in their lives and that they really should, you know, feel free to go away on weekends and right. take a step back and, you know, pursue other things if they're interested in it. For sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's an important thing. So if you're looking at applying to a lab, make sure that you feel like you are valued as a person and not just mm-hmm. a set of hands to, yeah. do, to do work. Truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> well, thank you again, Dr. Greer. And please tune in to our next episode of Incubation Conversations. We don't know what the topic will be yet, but... I I think we might have something very interesting next week. Yes, we might have more guests. 
For yes, sure. I think we do have another guest next week. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited. So stay tuned, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. Have a nice day, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you.